All right, guys, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. If you're someone who is seeking uncommon results, this podcast is for you. Success, happiness, and wisdom. What do these words mean to you? I think we can all agree that we'll probably all have slightly different definitions of each. In these podcasts, I get to dive deeply into conversations with some amazing innovators, influencers, and trendsetters that have had different versions of how they define the terms, yet have come out on the other side with amazing, uncommon results. At some point in their lives, they have decided to unshackle themselves from the norm and go beyond all boundaries. Hi, everybody. Well, thanks again for uh, joining the podcast. I got a, I got a good buddy of mine here today, Nick. I'm going to I, I give him a hard time about his last name, but Legamaro. Legamaro. <laughs> right. Uh, Nick Legamaro, Nick the note guy, a.k.a. the note guy, and uh, from USA Note Pro. Um, Nick, hey, man, it's, uh, it's good to have you on, and, and Nick is a, a good buddy of mine. We've, I've gotten to know Nick uh, probably over the last year, and <laughs> we, uh, we, we do a lot of time – Okay, we're going to pause there to cut that out. Nick and I do a lot of uh, dining. We're, we're always the ones figuring out we're, we're always the ones figuring out what restaurants to go to and what we should be doing. Exactly. And no one else really cares about the food, but Nick and I, man, in our next in our next meeting, we already got we already got like four <laughs> reservations in one restaurant, right? Yeah, we're gonna do it right. That's for sure. That's right, man. So hey, awesome. Nick, thanks uh, <laughs> thanks for being on the show today, man, and uh, thanks for taking the time to be here. And I'm just really excited for listeners to learn about some of some really unique things that you're doing from a financial perspective and then also just you know learning about the things that you've done and the challenges that you've had as a business owner the successes and just things that kind of got you to where you are today right so um thanks for being here and if you want to just share with your listeners a little bit about your background and who you are that'd be awesome awesome man well john thanks for having me and i look forward to you buying me that next steak dinner but we'll talk about that later but Anyway, I think you might have. There you go. You're back on. So yeah. So I, you know, I've been in real estate a while. I'm not an. I'm not like an OG. I'm like a pseudo OG, if you would. Uh, I've been doing this for. I. I was. I always look at things from a real estate perspective. Like who was doing real estate before 07, 08, and 09, right? Because a lot of mm-hmm. things that are out there today. There's a lot of guys that are pat that are post 07, 08, 09, and not as many that are pre 07, 08, 09. Because they all they got burned and they got they didn't come back and I was very fortunate enough to, um, you know they say you should learn from your you know learn from your mistakes. Well, I, hopefully I can share some tidbits today today where people maybe be able to not learn from their mistakes but maybe learn from the mistakes of you know what we have experienced over time right. and really put themselves in a position to take you know to take control and really you know, have this COVID, post-COVID effect really be a, a you know, be, be positive, not necessarily a negative situation, at least on a financial perspective. So like I started, um, I started back in real estate in early 2000s and I did a lot of things the wrong way. I did, well, back then we didn't know, we didn't know a lot of things that we have access today. We right. didn't have data like we have today. We didn't have education like we have today. We didn't have the internet like we know it today and just, you know, a plethora of information and uh, that's just readily available at the snap of the fingers, which in the past would take you days or weeks to get the data. It was like the newspaper, right? right. By the time you get the newspaper, the news is old, man. You don't want the news tomorrow. For, news you, know, you don't want the news today. You need it like in minutes and seconds, not 
days right. and weeks. So, right. but I started a company back in uh, about 2012 called Rylex Capital. I started with um, with a gentleman named John Montero, who I still okay. uh, work with today. We we uh, we basically built a company that we wanted to uh, build a cell. Um, we eventually did that in 2018. We'll talk about that here in a second. But more importantly, what we what our our mission and objective was when we started to do this is that we really wanted to build an opportunity for to have hardworking families to be able to obtain home ownership. That's really what this was about. And the way that we were able to do that was be able to buy houses, fix houses, um, create financing for those buyers, basically create the note and be the bank, which is really what we're going to talk about today on how we can how somebody can be the bank and invest in high yield secured mortgage notes without, um, you know, doing anything really special except knowing how to do it. But we did this because we wanted to really provide something back to the community that allowed people that have been told no, they can't purchase a home because they didn't meet the what I call the pretty buyer's box, right? They didn't they didn't have a W two job or they didn't have they meet the the correct credit score or they didn't have the uh the right dti debt to income ratio or maybe they didn't have a social security number and they had a um itin number instead so all those are factors that we take into consider when we write the room write notes and then fast forward a couple of years after that then here comes dodd frank and the government's going to say oh well you got to do all these things to be compliant right. uh you know and really they, they set it out to really protect the home borrower, the borrower, because they didn't trust companies like us, small cap lenders that really go out and create paper. And really what they were trying to do is they were trying to protect their buddies, sort of like how Robinhood was protecting the hedge funds. And we'll talk about that <laughs> in a little bit. And, and they go, well, we'll just do this because we can't, uh, um, we can't trust you, right? We can't trust you to do what you know, Freddie and Fannie and FHA and all these banks are doing. Well, we know what that looked like in 07, 08. They did a really fine job of managing and controlling that. But they really tried to set, they really tried to try to stick it to the small guys, right? The guys yeah. that are the small cap planners. However, it really didn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way for what we did because what we found out is that this is a great, this is a great idea. So where they thought they were going to hurt us they were actually helping us because of what it allowed us to do is really have a really um, specific uh, process to go to put the borrower through underwriting through using an RMLO, which is a residential mortgage loan originator to basically create and underwrite our notes and make sure it was Dodd-Frank compliant. So it was doing a, it was doing a service to the borrower, but really was doing a great service for us because it helped us really stay compliant. Uh, right. When we might not have done it, might not have done it that way, and it didn't really, you know, that's just a cost that's incurred, passed on to the borrower. It didn't even cost us financially, but now we have a third party uh, that can help with the verification and validation process of not only the borrower but making sure the loan is uh, is stacked stacked correctly. So, you know, fast forward to 2018, you know, we wrote hundreds and hundreds of creative finance notes or seller finance notes. We end up selling to all people to a uh, to a hundred year old financial you know a hundred year old federally chartered bank. So we did all this stuff, and we what the banks couldn't write because of their own internal compliance and 
regulations, they were able to actually buy. So what does all that mean? It just means that we really just went out and created paper and we, we learned how to become the bank ourselves. Now, you don't have to be that, you don't have to go that deep to do, to be a bank or to own a note. And a lot of people don't even realize that they have the ability to own notes or buy notes and more, or even buy them maybe in a, in a retirement account or buy them against, you know, different kinds of life insurance policies or whatever that might be. And we can maybe talk a little bit about that. So before I go on to today's environment, any, you have any well, I just think, well, I just think it's really interesting though, right? Like, because it, it is, it's, there are so many things and that, that we talk to people about, about how wealth works and there's a lot of different avenues, right? And there's a difference between what traditional planning tells us to do, right? Which is to follow all their rules and put money into places where we can access it and control it and do all these different things. But, you know, when you and I have been just talking prior to the, the, um, podcast here i mean it is it's a unique strategy that very few people understand and know how to do and it's not like you just go out i mean there, there's complexities to it and you got to know what you're doing i'm gonna you know and, and and i've dug into this a little bit right like just kind of learning more about it because but there's opportunity everywhere we seek right and i think that's one of the things that you when you're talking about pre-2000 and just kind of what you were first doing and now you're doing in this it's like if you don't have if you have your blinders on right it's good to pick a lane and own it but it's always there's always opportunity going by us on a daily basis, right? And there's ways to pivot and adapt and a change to how you can navigate yourself from a financial perspective and thinking outside of the box. And that's my biggest challenge. And is when I'm working with clients is helping them, you know, if what they thought to be true turned out not to be true, when do they want to know about it, right? And so yeah, yeah. what you know, you're talking about- That's a great, great point. That's a great point. Hey, you know, I don't know, I'm a little bit older than you, but. I remember back in the in the 70s, there was the food groups. I don't know if you remember the food groups, right? Yep. You know, dairy and cheese and all these crap foods that we would never that that is not that that is not the the foods that we would should eat today, right? But mm -hmm. you know, they they preached it. The government told us this was good for us, and you know, in, in hindsight, it just wasn't. And it was because we didn't know what we didn't know. And that goes same thing with in, with investing and financing, and you know, and investing into whatever. You, we rely on on what I would call professionals to, uh, to help us in what our needs are, whether it be a legal issue and use an attorney, whether it be a, using a CPA, whether it be in a financial advisor, we invest time and money into those for those services and hoping that we get the right return and information back. And, and sometimes it's just not, it's not true. But more importantly, isn't the information that you get back is not correct is that what information is not being provided to you that you probably right. should know to make even a more informed decision on maybe how yeah. to invest. Yeah, and I, right? and, I, and I would totally agree with that, right? Because it's not that it's not true. It's just that, is that really how wealth really works and who does that benefit? Sure. Is it benefiting the institutions or is it benefiting, benefiting the consumer? And who is in control yeah. of the money? Like when I look I at this, we, this whole note thing, right? Like you're actually, in essence, you're, you're creating another entity to where you can own paper. I control everything and, and, and the note holder controls everything because here's one thing is that there's a reason why banks are in the banking business. And that's what we need to think of is that think about how to be the bank, right? So what does a bank do? Well, a bank doesn't, you go to any city in this United States, the largest buildings in every downtown are bank buildings, yep. hands down. Oh, and it, Nick, okay? it's funny because I'll, I'll, t I'll ask clients, I'll say, are banks in the business of making money? And what's their answer? 
Uh, yes. It better be hell yes. Hell yes, right? And, and then I asked them, do the, are the banks doing what they're telling you to do with your money? No. No, they're not, not doing at it at all. In fact, so where's that disconnect, right? It's like, why are we, the banks are putting their money question. in their CDs. Their banks are putting their monies in their IRAs. The no. banks are putting in these monies that they don't have liquidity use control of. They understand velocity of money. Absolutely. And what they do is they control they don't own. Exactly banks right. control they don't own. They yeah. can, if you have a mortgage with Bank of America on your home, they don't own your home, but they control it because they have the lien on the property so that if you don't pay, Guess what? They have collateral. They have leverage. Yep. Okay. They're in a better. And oh, by the way, there's this funny thing called amortization. <laughs> Run an amortization schedule sometime and see how much of that payment is being made. It's all front loaded with interest. Yeah. So if you're telling me I can lend you money and you're going to pay me all the interest we agree to first, then you're going to start paying back the principal. Now, that's a great. That's a great model. I don't know how the banks pulled it off back and whenever they did it, but. It's, it's a great, great model, and that's why we want to be the bank because we're, our cost basis is going to continue to go down and down and down, and our risk is going to be mitigated by every payment that's made because we're getting, we're getting our interest and we're getting paid up front. So, you know, there, there again, the banks don't own anything, and my mindset is I have yet to figure out or find a way or somebody to tell me why what banks do is not a good model. Not a good business model. Right. I mean, they know how to make money. Right? Yep. Look, there's. I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with investing in the stock market. Although I'll say Robinhood. Okay. <laughs> there's a good. There's a good reason right there. I mean, if that's not that right. Writing on. You know, you have to know where your risk is. Right. Yep. You have to be know that if the worst thing happens, are you prepared to take the result? And obviously, mm. the hedge funds were not. All right. Yep. And these are supposed to be sophisticated individuals, and they had to rely on some. Basically, the little guy beat the shit out of him. Well, and the, and the reality is, though, and the reality is, though, the head funds aren't going to get hurt. I mean, that's what. Well, they, they aren't because they're going to have somebody shut down trading, right? Well, As a result of it, that's what, I and mean, that's basically but, what happened. Otherwise, they would have got hurt. They would have got well, hurt pretty good. Right. Well, but the, but they're, they're, they're hurting the, the smaller investor more than the head funds, though, by people not getting into the deal. Well, that was it. That was part of the problem. So, right. you know, so, you know, I want to talk a little bit about sort of today's environment and where I see this is going, because and I'm, I'm going to use notes as the re, as the investment strategy that I choose to do. I haven't owned a stock in years. It's probably been over 10 years now. And it's not that I wouldn't love to have Tesla or Amazon or any of these stocks. But at the end of the day, you know, if Amazon goes down 20 percent and I need my cash back out. You know, Jeff Bezos isn't going to scratch me a check for the difference of what I invested and what I lost, right? It's just not going to happen. Right. So, but here's in today's environment and where we are now, being in a in a post, you know, post COVID or pandemic situation, whatever you want to refer to it as, you know, foreclosures and forbearances are going to continue to climb. And now, like I said, the banks will always get paid, so it's not a matter of whether if they're going to get paid, it's just when. And I'd rather be in a position of when, I mean, when, not if. For example, if you're a landlord and you have rental properties, you know, that's not, that you can't, that's not the same situation. You may never get paid. You know, they throw a moratorium on, on, on eviction and payment. There is no, there is nothing tying that tenant to, to that property to make sure that you get paid. You might, they might be living there for a year and you might not get anything out of it. And you still owe debt or you likely owe debt to a bank at some point in time. 
And guess what? The banks will always get paid and you're going to be in a situation as a landlord that could cost you, you know, the, the asset that you bought. Whereas when you own the note and you have control, it's just, you might have to be patient. You know, you might not get paid today. You might not get paid for six months because there's forbearance right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you give up forbearance, the forbearance just means that you're kicking the can down the road a little bit here. Right. I need six months to get my, my, uh, my job back or get my, get my earnings back up, but they're going to still pay because people have to have a place to live and they're going to make that payment. If they don't, guess what? The bank has collateral in the form of the house and they'll do something to, to get their money back. They'll do a loan modification or something like that. So, you know, that's the, the you know, the good news and the bad news of this whole situation. Um, I just think that as we move forward, um, uh, you're in a much better position to own own notes and control real estate than you are to the other way around owning real estate and hoping and that you're getting the cash flow come in to arbitrage the deal to pay off to pay off the debt. So Nick, how many people are doing notes in the country? I mean, is it is it not as yeah. is, is it kind of like a a core nucleus of people? Because I mean, obviously. The only reason why I really heard about it was because in the mastermind and in the, in the relationship that I have with you and, and, and a couple other people, but it doesn't seem like it's, it's just wide. <laughs> no, it, maybe I'm wrong. Like a, maybe that's a great question. Well, I'll tell you here in a second. So um, you're right because there's, it's not sexy, like fixing and flipping a house or putting the going and doing a buy and hold. You don't see, you don't see uh, HGTV, you know, showing, you know, you know, flip a note or buy a note or sell a note or trade a note. You know, hey, that might be that might be a good new program. Well, I would like to show. I would like to visually see how that might work. Besides me pulling up an amortization table and some kind of modeling. But you know, it's a yeah. great question, and I get asked all the time. You know, we know how I I know how to be the bank, but really, how how big is what I would call the note market or what I would call non traditional notes, right? The seller financing or the creative financing side. Well. It's a lot bigger than people think. And I'm just going to cut right to the chase. It's about $25 billion a year. Wow. It's billion with a B. That's a, that's a crap ton of private paper that's been written by either individuals or small cap lenders that are not Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Citibank, the traditional, the traditional uh, banks that go and write mortgages. Not right. who they are. It's, it's, and the majority of that is about 90 percent or higher is what it's written by what I would call mom and pops. And it's people that go and write their own financing on a property that they own, could be land, it could be a business, could be a single family, family house, and they create their own paper. And that's the opportunity that we can take and go purchase and, and, and make sure that it's the file stack correctly and turn around and make it available to uh, people that want to invest into with their IRA accounts. We do a lot of uh, placement in the IRAs and Roth IRAs and SIDRAs because um, you can, uh, and a lot of people don't even realize they do. I mean, I don't know what it's, what a CD is at right now, but it's what, maybe a point, point and a half. Yeah, it's not, know. High, right? <clears throat> not very high. So you have, you have money sitting in this basically cash account. That's not generating you any, any return, but it's fairly secure. Well, I would argue that a note is a very, a fairly secure investment if it's purchased correctly and the proper due diligence is done before you buy it. I mean, there's a lot of steps and factors that you gotta do, 
but there's companies that can go out there and can provide you that turnkey note to purchase. And, you know, depending on how, how secure you want the note to be, you can make anywhere between say six and 10%. That's a lot more than a CD or a money market or a bond or some kind of bonds. Uh, is it, will it outperform the stock market? Um, I say yes. Uh, because in time, I don't have the fluctuated. I'm going to get a payment, right? So I'm going to get, if I'm holding a note and I'm getting a payment on it each month of principal and interest, it doesn't matter what, what doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. It doesn't matter what the economy is doing. It doesn't matter uh, what the stock, what the stock exchange trading at. It doesn't matter because my payments, it's consistent. It doesn't matter if the property value goes up or goes down. The only thing that matters is that the borrower makes that payment to the bank, which is me. Well, okay? and, there's way, and then there's ways that you can, and, and maybe you're going to be like, John, I don't want to go there. But there, from my understanding, there's ways that you can, you know, flip the note, right? Or if you have another, sure. income, there's all, there's ways you can make Absolutely. quick money on it too, right? Well, there's what, you know what, a note is no different than a property, right? You're just controlling it with the piece of paper. So I, I, we buy notes all the time. We sell notes all the time. We fix notes. A lot of notes need to be fixed, just like you well, buy explain a property. That. Ex explain that. How do you yeah. fix a note? Because, I mean, that, yeah. it's kind of like that, you know, it's not sexy to flip a property, but you're fixing a note. Yeah, so, like, say it's maybe it's non-performing. So, we buy a note, and at the time that you buy it, the borrower's not performing. So, you buy it at a, you buy it at a lower right. price, you know, percentage, right? So, then you got to make it performing. How do you make it performing? You got to get the borrower brought current. You might have to do a loan modification. Maybe it wasn't serviced through, through a third-party thirties third-party servicing company, you know, because, because grandma that sold it to the neighbor is getting cash payments on the first of every month, not tracking in and not keeping it. Well, if you're going to buy a long-term uh, performing asset, you want to make sure the due diligence is in order. You want to know the borrower has been underwritten correctly. You want to make sure their files stack correctly. You want to make sure there's insurance on the property. You want to make sure that there's, uh, that's being, I prefer it to be service versus self-service because I want to see taxes and insurance escrowed, uh, just little things like that. And you want to treat it like as if you're going to, if, if, if a financial institution was going to be the owner of that paper, all right. the notes that I create and sell, everything that we do, it's stacked um, no differently than a Wells Fargo file. And then we can go and sell this to anybody. Um, and it'll pass their, it'll pass their due diligence test and it'll pass their, their performance to make sure that it's a quality asset that's actually going to do what it's supposed to do. And how many, and how many people do you have on your team, Nick? And how many, like, you know, how has it escalated from, you know, when you kind of got into this to where you guys are? Yeah. Now? Well, that's the beauty about what we do is that um, we can be fairly, very thin as far as the internal people go, because all the all the critical uh, pieces of our team are attorneys, their title companies, their servicing companies, their appraisers, their realtors, you know, their uh, um, contractors. They're all people that we outsource to do whatever we need to do to make this thing work for the thing. So we don't have to bring a lot of overhead in house because all that stuff is going to be done by a you know a third party professional for whatever those particular tasks need to be done to help validate the model. So your, your, your overhead can be pretty low on this as long as you have, you know, the good, the good interaction yeah. between certain professionals. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, 
I think, you know, from that perspective, I mean, it's gonna, it's crazy out there right now. I mean, the last, some of the stats I've seen recently is like, you know, um, 85 million people were having, you know, reporting trouble paying for their household bills. Okay. Well, what does that mean for, if you're a node holder? Well, it's, it, the, a person is going to probably, the, the, they're going to probably default or not pay on a lot of other things besides their mortgage, right? So they're going to have to pay credit card bills maybe. And how does that affect those, those companies, right? Those stocks, you know, there can be some issues with that. But mm-hmm. I think none of that stuff is really a, that much of a consequence right now. It's just like, really, what do we want to do? This is an older article, but I remember I remember it quite clearly from back in 2013. It was from the Wall Street, from the Washington Post, and they basically said buying mortgage notes can provide a savvy investor with secured returns without the hassles of buying and fixing fixing a property, basically. Right. And, you know, it basically says, you know, mortgage notes, they can be, you know, just like an industry giant such as Bank of America or Wells Fargo. We've already talked about that. But um, I just think that people don't realize that mortgage notes are are actually a buy and hold or a legitimate buy and hold strategy uh, and investment option because they probably have never even heard of it before. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not. I don't think it's it's very common knowledge. So, you know, do you do you do training for? Do you have courses that people can sign up for, or how can people reach out to you? Or you know, yeah, a little bit. Well, they can go to. We'll put it in the show notes or whatever. But you can go. They can go to usanotepro.com. USA note n o t e pro.com. Uh, there's some information on there. If anybody reaches out, and my email is nick at usanotepro, and we can send out like. Uh, we got a little like ebook. It's called uh, 10 questions you, you must ask before buying real estate notes. And it just talks about things like the due diligence process and, you know, how to protect what you're doing. But, you know, you can either do it yourself or you can find somebody that have it, did do it for you. Right. And I am a firm believer of do what you do best and then figure out let somebody else do the rest. Um, so if you're not going to be a full blown uh mortgage note expert find somebody that can that can help provide you those things so we don't do a lot of training um per se um on on how to how to buy notes but if we 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 have uh we do webinars on occasion and we basically educate and then if somebody wants to you know they can go out and find their own note great and if they want us to provide a note and get 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 the return then we can do that too but we don't do like we don't do funds. Uh, we don't do fractionalization of notes. You know, we if you're going to buy a note, you're going to get the whole note or whatever you whatever you buy is yours to, to purchase. Right. So, and I think um, it's important too because as a as an investment advisor, right? I I am not promoting or suggesting that you go Nick that can that can help you and guide you um, again because this isn't investment information or tax advice or legal advice. Yeah, right? I am not a um, CPA. I'm not an attorney. Yeah. I'm not your I'm not your financial yeah, so, advisor. I'm just telling you what we do or what I do personally. And, um, and, you know, I would strongly recommend people to go do their own uh, research and due diligence, see if it's the right fit for for them. I mean, it's just, this is stuff that I put my mom and dad in and my relatives in because I know that this is a far better and more secure investment than what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. 
and that's just it. It's gonna it's it's gonna outperform money markets and treasuries and corporate corporate bonds and even I think even buy and hold real estate. Now people will say, well, boy, if I buy and hold, I get the depreciation. Well, great. Depreciation is a very powerful thing, and it's very initially, initially, initially. But I'll, but my point is back to what I said in earlier on in the, when we started talking is that I follow the model being the bank. Okay. Mm -hmm. If, if I don't think the banks give two rips about depreciation, if they did, they would figure out how to take the depreciation because banks are greedy. Banks are, banks are mean, man. They, they want it. They want everything for themselves and they, and they don't, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, if we follow that same thing, now we can be <laughs> nice about mean, it. Banks are mean, man. They're mean. <laughs> they're mean. They don't, they don't tell you all their little secrets. They're mean, man. They come after you. Anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. But if right. depreciation was that important, they would probably um, figure out a way to take advantage of it. Well, that. and the reality is, too, is that like, and why I said initially is because even if you ever go to sell the property, you got to recapture it. you got to pay tax on it. It's it, it, You're just reducing that. And at some point in time, the depreciation is going to run out. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's tax advantages to it, but again, what is what sure. is your scope and scope? But I mean, just you don't you don't want to buy properties just because of depreciation, because eventually it's not going to do anything for you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Look, and this is a long-term investment strategy, right? So you're going to get look, you you buy a 30-year note or you invest in a 30-year mortgage. You remember, you're getting all that interest pre sort of prepaid and paid down. So if you look at an amortization, right now the average borrower is it just went up a little bit but it's about let's call it 10 years so somebody writes a 30-year note okay and um they pay it off in 10 years and let's say the interest was seven percent because remember these aren't bank notes these aren't the pretty borrowers these are the borrowers that can't go down the wells fargo chase to get a loan and they have they're not that they're bad borrowers they just don't check all the boxes we talked about right. this so you know, when you own uh, a note that's controlled by the, and, and you're controlling the real estate, and let's let's just use simple math, okay? A ten, let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar note, and it's ten percent interest, right? So that's ten thousand, uh, that's ten thousand dollars a year in interest, right? Yep. Right, ten percent. Okay. So if you run in, a, if you run in an amortization, and you look at that payment, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to tell you right now, year one. That that thousand dollar ten percent if that's a thousand dollar payment, nine hundred ninety dollars of it's going to interest and or nine hundred eighty dollars going gonna, to interest. I'm gonna run an amortization schedule for you right now, and I'll give you the number. Yeah, run it. Just run on a because most of the stuff that we do is it's somewhere between nine and ten percent. Is it amortized uh, over a thirty year? Is it amortized over a thirty yeah. year note though? Mm -hmm. Do it on thirty year. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then ten percent. Do a hundred thousand dollars at just do it nine and a half percent. So your 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 monthly interest is eight hundred thirty three bucks. And what's the payment total? The payment total is eight seventy eight. Okay, so that example, eight hundred thirty three dollars a month is interest, and what's the principal? And principal is thirty dollars. Principal is forty four dollars. Okay, so fast forward on that table, go out, go, go out ten, go out ten years, go out one hundred twenty months. Okay, I'm gonna do. Okay, so go out one hundred twenty months, and tell me what the UPB is, the unpaid balance. After 120 months, uh, 99,541. 99,541. So if they call the bank, who's the bank in this example? It's you, right? Yep. They're going to make the, the, the bar, the, somebody's going to call the bank, which is me or you or whoever has the note, and they're going to ask for the payoff on the note. Okay. What's the payoff on the note, John, 10 years from now? 
99,541. And we started at $100,000, right? Right. So you're getting $99,500 back in, in 10 years. And what was that? What was that? Um, what was the interest payment on that? Well, the monthly interest payment. Oh, the total, I mean, sorry, what's the total payment on 880? Uh, 878. Eight so if I take 878 times 120 months, that's $105,000 in interest, John, mm -hmm. on, that, on that deal. So I got $105,000 in interest, and then I get, I'm going to get a big fat check in 10 years for basically what I invested into the deal to begin with. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm going to get another $95,000 check. So I'm going to double my money in that. But what did I also have? I had security. So every year, let's say, let's say I made $105,000 in interest. And let's just say arbitrarily, it's a $10,000 uh, a year for 10 years. That's basically $100,000. Well, so after year one, my cost basis went from 100 down to 90. After year two, it went to 80, 70, 60. So my risk is getting mitigated each year because... I'm getting I'm getting that payback. So anyway, well, and and people refinance and they do different things and like because like what is yeah. the average what is the average note like maybe seven years or am I wrong by that is that a wrong? No, I was I was, I was saying it's probably close to the ten now. Okay, yeah, that's why I used to pay off in ten. Yeah, years. I mean I I I yeah I I I heard you say ten, but I was thinking that you know maybe people typically seven, but your experience is that's around ten. It used to be seven, and then what? Then people now start people people start saying in their house we get a lot of refinancing now. But you remember, we're not talking about the pretty borrowers and the bank money, right? right? We're talking about that $25 billion in paper, yeah. right? We're not talking about the other stuff that's been written. We're looking at the $25 billion, and that allows us to really take it, to take these numbers and really get things. So, But I do want to talk just a little bit about some of the, some of the things that note buyers really need to be sort of cautious of, because... You know, you can go out on, there's, there's places you can go find notes. You can probably go on, on Facebook and, and say, I buy mortgage notes. And there's probably, there's, there's plenty of places to go find uh, notes, but you got to really be careful um, on a certain things. And, you know, a lot of questions we get asked is like, really, how is my money secured? Well, it's secured by the property, which is because there's a, there's a, a, a deed of trust that's filed. Right. And there's a lien position on there that protects that investment in the event of a default or a sale or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the one thing. And then the other question I get asked quite a bit, and this is sort of interesting to me, they go, why is the borrower willing to pay such a high interest rate? Because people say, Oh, rates are two, two and a half, three percent 3% now. And they're, and we're getting, we're writing notes and buying notes that have seven, eight, nine, 10% interest rate. They go, why are they willing to pay? Why do they pay such a high interest rate? Well, it's pretty simple. One, they got to be able to qualify first for that cheap money, which is extremely difficult to do. But two, um, because their alternative is renting. And if you want to be a homeowner and you want to buy, what's the interest rate on rent, right? Mm -hmm. The interest rate on rent, you can't calculate it because you get zero value back, right? If you got a dollar back for every thousand dollars of rent you paid, you could theoretically figure out what the, you know, what the interest rate is, right? But here, they're getting zero value out of high interest rate. In fact, here's a here's an interesting story. I just uh, did. I just pulled up a, a a mortgage note that was written six and a half years ago, and it was written at eighty five thousand dollars with ten percent down, ten percent interest, and it's been performing for six and a half years. And that borrower is paying a lot of money in interest expense. But what are they getting? 
Well, they're getting to deduct the interest expense, first of all, right, on their taxes. They're getting to deduct property tax on their in, yep. uh, on their taxes. But you know what that property is worth now? It's worth $165,000. It's almost doubled in six and a half years. Now, is that going to happen everywhere? Absolutely not. But my point is this. Do you think that borrower is ecstatic that they got a $165,000 asset, even though they're paying a 10% mortgage on that on that deal well i think i think not only that though nick i think too it gives them you know because there's a difference between a house and a home and people have that emotional tie like if they feel like i think it's even more of an emotional thing versus a an investment because i don't think your home is an investment in that situation yeah i'd appreciate it but it's more even just a, a peace of mind of an emotional like they can call something their own right and, and to your, well, absolutely i mean there's and, no and, question and, and, and to your point though it's not it's not that they're bad lenders. They just maybe had a couple of things that happened to their credit to where they can't get the, the good financing. They, and a lot of these people have really good jobs. They have really good cash flow. They have, you know, if you do your due diligence and, and, and you know, there are certain yeah. situations as we all understand life happens and it throws people curveballs and it's sure. and so it gives people an opportunity, right. To have home ownership that, that otherwise wouldn't happen. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of people that are self-employed. Even more right. so now than there were two years ago. Even even more so moving forward because there's people that have lost, you know, corporate jobs and they're they're going to have to go create their own opportunity. That's just yeah. the way things are going to be, and uh, that's what I'm trying to teach both my kids. I said, like, look, you can go work for somebody, but that job can be gone tomorrow, and you need to be able to create yourself some opportunity. Well, this is sort of if that's the path you take you're going to have to be creative in some other way to get, if you want to have home ownership, because banks just don't want to, they, they got to be in that very specific box. Right. But, yep. you know, some of the things like I want to say on like the due diligence checklist that like we look at that I think are important for uh, people to consider, you need to know, you know, who's selling the note. Is it a broker or is it an originator? Right. So who actually owns it? Are they, are they brokering it? Are they like controlling it and marking it up and selling it? Or do they actually own it and have some, some um, history of the of the performance, for example, you know we want to. But the key components of the note is going to be what's the principal balance, what's the interest rate, what's the term or length of the mortgage note, um, how is the property, how what does the property look like that's securing that note, is it in good shape, you know. So things are all that's all part of the due diligence package, you know. Was it underwritten correctly or uh, was there Dodd Frank? you know, is a Dodd-Frank and Safety Act compliant? You know, there, are there original documents in the file? Was it a deed of trust? Is it a contract for deed? You know, things like that. But when we when we sell our notes, like we're sitting, I don't know what's in our portfolio right now because there's always, you know, notes coming in, going out. Some are performing, yep. some are not performing. Some are sub-performing, now they're re-performing. Um, but at the end of the day, if and when we go sell, a note to a to a to an investor we want we we have it checks all the boxes is because we when we buy stuff our intent is to hold it for the duration of the note when we go to sell something is because somebody is looking for an asset and you know or we want to reinvest in the more you know we buy them for x and sell them for y and we make a spread i mean there's no secret to it uh, but what we do is we add value to it because now we know that um you know, it's like buying a car for your for your kid, right? You don't just 
you don't just put them in an, a used car for you. You don't just put them in the car and say, go drive to California. You drive it around for a little bit, make sure the brakes all work and get it checked out. Make sure that it's safe and reliable so they don't get halfway where they're going and have it be a problem. Well, notes are the same way. We don't know if we buy a note, we don't know it's been performing for five years, let's say. We don't know what's happened in that five years. Right. We don't really know. We don't know what's changed in the borrower's profile since then. So we want to take it in and we want to make sure that it's serviced and everything is done correctly so that when we give the give that note um, to an investor or they purchase the note, they have they have a really good, at that point in time, I can't predict the future. I can't, no one can. But we know at that particular time exactly what it is that we're, 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 or we're holding and the price is, 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 is uh, driven by exactly what that note looks like. Right. Well, awesome, dude. <clears throat> well, is there anything else that you want to share? And, um, you know, uh, we've been, talk, we've been talking a long time already, man. It's been good. Yeah, I know. It's like, it's okay. good, but you know, I would just say anybody that wants more information, hit me up on, uh, hit me up on the account. Um, send me a, Send me uh, send me an email if you want the the passive note guide, the investing guide, the ebook. It's ten questions, whatever it is. There, I'll be happy to send it out to you. Um, yeah, I just think it's a great opportunity. Look, here's the way I look at it. You should, we should be diversifying in our portfolios anyway. It's just that simple. You don't want to have all um, mutual funds. You don't want to have all CDs. You don't want to have all stocks or international, whatever it is that you want, you want to make sure that you're diversified and you want, I really think of it from the long term. I'm getting older and I'm not 20 or 25, 30 anymore. There's a different investment strategy, I think, for those types of investors. This is for people that uh, I think that are looking for cash flow and want to really uh, have a um, have some kind of equity preservation or wealth preservation as a um because you don't want to you don't want to risk the capital stack if you don't have to right you want to you want to keep yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but no, good. Go ahead. you're good no, so no that's it, all i was going to say it's just it's just another form an opportunity right to look at maybe there's things that people don't know about and that's what we're doing this for is to share with ideas and things that yeah Nick, I mean, you've done a, I mean, you're, you're killing it, right? You're doing, I mean, a lot of awesome things. And it's just, it's just a different way to help and influence and guide people. And again, we're not saying this as an investment advice. We're not saying to go do this, right? Oh, like, absolutely not. Do no. this, you do your, do, do yourself due diligence, do look into it. Um, and just, you know, and, and you have a professional that you can reach out to Nick. Um, you know, again, Nick, Nick, uh, AKA Nick, the, the note guy. I love that dude. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, and then USA Nick or USA note pro, and then your email is uh, nick at usapro.com. Is that right? Yeah, nick at usanopro, yes. Oh, sorry, usanopro.com. Yeah. So anyways, man, well, so, I mean, I just, I, I feel like, again, it was, it's just a good different perspective for people to realize that there's other opportunities out there. Yeah, you know, you, you know, you know take that, you know, look at some of that, that IRA money that's sitting there that's just basically collecting dust. Because here's the thing with, with, with administrators, right? And we work with administrators all the time. They, they're just a custodian of your money. They don't really, they can't provide investment advice. So you really don't, unless you have a really good financial advisor that understands retirement and, and a lot of them don't because they don't make money 
look, let's be honest. I mean, financial advisors get paid on what, you know, a lot of times on what they do and, and where they place money and whatever that is. And there's nothing wrong with it. Everybody's got to make a living. But if they can't make money off of it, it's really hard for them to really make a recommendation. Not because it's not good. It's because if you take your stack of capital and cash and you go invest it in something that doesn't pay them uh, a commission, then they're working for free and that's not a good business model. And that's so, why I love what I do on the, on, the, on the finance side is because we show clients how to do that and take advantage of opportunity where it doesn't matter to me what they do. Um, exactly. About opportunity, liquidity, use and control of your capital to take advantage of these opportunities. And it's, but it's out where you store your wealth in order to do that. And those are the things that we talk to our clients about, but it's built in such sure. a way so they can go do these other things. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, man, I think it's, you know, there's, there's just a lot of opportunity out there. And again, I, I appreciate you coming on here. You, man, we, we've talked about now almost an hour today. And I know uh, it's great, man. It's good, 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 good stuff. To do it. You know, thanks well, I hope that get, and it shares a little light on sort of where we are and what we do and what more importantly, what people probably should take into consideration and at least research, you know, our notes, a good investment strategy, especially a performing note um, and see if it's something they want to build and in, integrate into their investment portfolio, because I wouldn't say put 100 percent of any all your eggs in any basket, I don't right. care what it is. You know, I wouldn't put 100 percent in, in a cash basket. That's not a good model either, right? So there has to be some some um, balance, if you would, on what that looks like, and only the individual can determine what that needs to be uh, in their lives on and what their risk their risk tolerance is, and you know what they're actually trying to obtain. But yeah. notes, I think, are one of the fewer fewest investment strategies that I know that can truly be passive um, because everything can be done. Um, you know, and it's, it's really just turned into be mailbox money at the end of the day. You know, that's the beauty of it. When you have, we didn't talk about third-party servicing companies, but what a third-party servicing company does is they manage. And if you ever had a, you know, you ever had a, a lot of people probably listening had a, had a mortgage and it was from Bank of America. And three weeks later, they get a letter in the mail. And now it's from, now it's from uh, Rushmore. And they go, who the hell is Rushmore? Well, they sold the note, right? So they sold the note over and now there's a new servicer and I get change of payment and everything. So most of the time when we place the notes, the servicer doesn't change, but the note holder can. So the borrower doesn't have any interruption in how they make right. the payment. So yeah, and then you just get collected. They collect the taxes and insurance. They collect the taxes and insurance and escrow them. And then they basically pay the P&I, the principal and interest to the, to the, to the, the note holder. Well, that's awesome. Well, is there any, uh, Parting wisdom or anything else that you can share before we uh, before we end the podcast? You know, I, I don't I don't know. Uh, boy, I don't I, I don't know. It's uh, that's about all you're gonna get from me because I'm not big on I'm I'm not big on advice. I don't like to give out a lot of advice because everybody has to make what the decisions based. I am about I am big on information, and the more information you have, the more the more power you have and your ability to make decisions. And I think to me, that's probably the most important thing is th this is great for some people and it's horrible for others. And it just yep. really has to be, you just have to look at it in, through your own set of lenses, but more importantly, know that it exists so you can make the best decision on whatever that is. So you know that you're making the right investments and making the right, doing the right strategy based on all the information, not just a little bit of it. 
Well, man, I just I appreciate you being on the on the call. I appreciate you as a as a as a human being. You're awesome. We have a lot of fun <laughs> together, right? Absolutely. Uh, I can't. I, you know, it's we get we've been talking about. We're gonna. I'm gonna see you in March again, and so. Uh, I know. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're. I'm looking forward to seeing you too, man, and hanging out, spending some time, and just kind of, you know, brain dumping too, and just sharing ideas and and uh, information. So, man, I, I really appreciate you being on. And, and thanks, thanks for having for, me. Thanks for having me on, and you know, anything I can do to help, you know, you guys know how to reach me. You guys have a good one. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care.